Good morning, this is Dr. Daniel Buera and this is Authentic Biochemistry Podcast. Today is the 14th of August, 2023. You're listening to lecture number nine on Alzheimer's disease in aging females. And this is still biomedical portrait one, which we will soon conclude. We were talking about some of the oxysterols. I mentioned to you about 27 hydroxysterols. It is one of the common circulating oxysterols in humans. And some have suggested that this could be a direct toxin associated with the induction of estrogen receptor modulation in the central nervous system in the postmenopausal mild cognitive deficient female leading to Alzheimer's disease. And so a paper published in 2021 uh, from the journal Alzheimer's Research and Therapy wanted to study the 27-hydroxy cholesterol. So this was a study done in Finland, two-year geriatric intervention study to examine what they call their um, to prevent cognitive impairment and disability. They only had older individuals in the study, obviously, geriatric, so between 60 and 77 years of age. And they're saying that they are at increased risk of dementia because of the age, but they did not have dementia or any other observable, presented, or diagnosed cognitive impairment at this uh, outside of the study. They randomized the population so they could do a multi-domain intervention, which I think was a good aspect of the study. They looked at diet, exercise, uh, what they call cognitive training, and overall vascular risk management. Then they had a control group, and they just gave the control group general health advice. And they did a one-to-one ratio. Very straightforward um, research design. The outcome assessors were masked to the groups. So the study itself included 47 participants. They measured 27-hydroxycholesterol cognition. They used brain MRI. They used PET. Uh, two different forms of PET, FDG and PIB. Then they did linear regression models to assess cross-sectional and longitudinal associations. And they were examining any interactions between 27-hydroxycholesterol and cognition, and then whatever the neuroimaging markers were. The results were the 27-hydroxycholesterol reduction during an intervention was associated with an improvement in cognition. What they were measuring mostly for cognition was memory. They didn't find that in the control. The intervention that they used reduced 27-hydroxycholesterol in people with the highest levels and the younger age. There was no association between the changes in 27-hydroxycholesterol and any of the neuroimaging markers. That's why I didn't go into detail of what they were. But 
a baseline, a higher 27-hydroxycholesterol level in circulation was associated with lower total gray matter and hippocampal volume. And that was associated with lower cognitive score. Okay. So the associations were unaffected by total cholesterol, which I've been saying to you for years. And sex seemed to influence associations at baseline, but did not affect any long-term association. So the conclusion for this paper, which was that 27-hydroxycholesterol could be a marker for dementia, Alzheimer's disease risk, and not necessarily showing any sort of correlation or biological activity, just a biomarker, okay? So I wanted to get that paper out. So let's talk about 27-hydroxycholesterol. It's been considered a transcriptional regulator of estrogen receptors alpha and beta. We've talked about this. The binding of this 27-hydroxycholesterol back to the ER alpha will reduce bone density. And the KDS of 27-hydroxycholesterol for ER alpha and ER beta are within a micromolar range, 1.3 versus about 0.4. Now that binding is a thousand times higher than the binding of E2 for uh, human ER alpha or ER beta. So that, that 10 to the third KD higher value means that you would need a thousand times more 27 hydroxycholesterol to have the same effect as 17 beta estradiol on either the alpha or the beta estrogen receptor. So that would then require not, not a, um, a range of 27 hydroxycholesterol that's ever been measured. Okay, so just so you understand that. Now, the caveat you always put in, that's in circulation. If there was sufficient amount of 27 hydroxycholesterol synthesized in situ, say in hippocampal cell, and the hippocampal cell was expressing ER alpha or ER beta, of course, the concentration of that 27 hydroxycholesterol could be much higher than what's in circulation. Thousand times higher? Possibly. But that wasn't measured. Okay. So there's other evidence about how 27 hydroxycholesterol uh, has a role in regulating estrogen receptor biology. And that is that it promotes the growth of estrogen receptor dependent breast tumors. So 27 hydroxycholesterol, of course, works in one of its capacities to increase the transcriptional activation of ER alpha. So at even 10 nanomolar, 27-hydroxycholesterol promoted uh, a breast cancer cell line according to the 
increase in transcriptional activation of ER alpha. Okay. So that's why people are still interested in it. Now that's a much lower level than what we just talked about, right? Okay, now remember, this is the amount that's in the cell. Right? So the circulation concentration, molarity, is different than the concentration of the any given metabolite intracellularly. And if you have high numbers of levels of receptors, and those receptors are effectively binding to this particular ligand, you may have a biological effect. But you see, this is where the, once again, where the data often is not consistent across different publications. And that's the problem I have as a biochemist. Now, where do you get 27-hydroxycholesterol, this oxysterol, which is considered potent um, pathobiochemical in the cell? Well, a couple of different pathways. Cholesterol can be metabolized by acetylchrome P450, remember, subclass 46, and that enzyme uses NADPH and molecular oxygen. Water is generated as well as NADP, the oxidized form, and 27-hydroxycholesterol is the other product. Now, 27-hydroxycholesterol can be further metabolized. And it often is by a 7-alpha monooxygenase and utilizing oxygen and NADPH again, same products there for um, the, the, those two components, water and NADP uh, oxidized. But the other product, of course, is 7-alpha 27-dihydroxycholesterol, which can be converted multiple steps later to choleo-CoA which is totally not involved in estrogen uh, receptor binding. And neither is the 7-alpha-27-dihydroxycholesterol. So you have to think about the metabolism. So when you're adding an individual ligand like 27-cholesterol, you're adding it exogenously. So there's no regulation of its biosynthesis or degradation. And that was essentially a degradation pathway. All right, so I want you to keep that in mind. Just one more relevant thing, cholesterol can be also easily metabolized simply to 7-alpha-hydroxysterol. And that will be converted again multiple steps later to choleo-CoA. Again, completely out of the estrogen receptor metabolic uh, sequelae. And that enzyme happens to be a SIP. Uh, 7A1. Okay. So I just, I'm adding these things to get you to understand. So 17 hydroxycholesterol will go through the membrane as most lipids will without any facilitated diffusion. And because it's cholesterol, and even with an extra hydroxy group, cholesterol, unlike free fatty acids, doesn't seem to cause major disruptions of the membrane. Okay. Now, where it's been studied. So this oxysterol can move through the blood-brain barrier. And it can come directly from circulation, therefore, into various nuclei of the CNS. But during studies looking at non-pathological conditions, that is healthy, 27-hydroxy cholesterol 
still stays very low relative to circulation. And when it enters into the brain, it appears to be metabolized by CYP27A1 and CYP-B1, which again transforms the 27-hydroxy into non-biologically active vis-a-vis ER alpha-beta biology. And often after that, metabolism goes right back into circulation because in this instance, you're generating cholestinoic acid, which moves directly back out of the CNS. Now, having said all this, early onset, that's EO, more often in men, sporadic SAD. So that's that. So either EO or SAD. SAD is sporadic, means it can happen spontaneously, has been linked to high circulating and cerebrospinal fluid levels of 27-hydroxycholesterol. Okay. And as we mentioned in that last uh, report and also a couple days ago, these oxysterols, because they bind to this estrogen receptor, but in a way that does not mimic the estradiol, okay, have been associated with MCI in the elderly. So that's why there continues to be an increase in, in, in interest in 27-hydroxycholesterol in AD pathogenesis, okay? Particularly because you can find these enzymes that support its biosynthesis and its degradation. Now, I want to talk again a bit about the LXR receptors. Remember, these are the liver X receptors. There's an alpha and beta form of them as well. Now, they sense cholesterol precursors and oxysterols, including 24S hydroxycholesterol or that 27 hydroxycholesterol we've just been talking about. And those two receptors will take those two ligands and drive a a sequelae into transcriptional regulation that controls and regulates cellular and systemic cholesterol homeostasis. Remember, these are liver receptors, but we find them elsewhere, including the brain. So the LXR activation protects either microglia or macrophages from cholesterol overload by inducing the expression of lipid transport proteins. These include ABCA1 and ABCG1, but also APOE4. All of these can promote the elimination of excess cholesterol, particularly from the liver. Right, we talk about the fatty liver involvement here. Now, simultaneously, LXR decrease further cholesterol uptake by inducing the degradation of LDL receptors, pulling them back out of the plasma membrane and the cytosine and degrading them. Now, Cholesterol metabolites via LXRs can still influence multiple pathways in immune cells. 
and they seem to be regulating lipid homeostasis, okay? These LXRs. So LXRs can alternatively regulate inflammatory responses. How? Through transcriptional activation of expression of genes that are similar to PPARs. Okay. And they affect similar set, therefore, of inflammatory gene transcription components. INOS, COX-2, IL-6, IL-1-beta. So now you get that, that angle, but the target genes of inflammatory stimuli, like LPS, which typically inhibit PPAR and LXR, don't show the same overlap. Okay, so there is a specificity here with the LXR. So each receptor, obviously, is going to tailor the immune response. And what I just described there, why it's significant about LPS, because that means there's going to be a unique or an altered immune response to authentic pathogenic agents or tissue damage. And, and if that occurs in this unique way, LXR versus PPR gamma, for example, then you're going to get different expression patterns relative to what target genes are finally associated with those receptors in the nucleus. So LXR alpha, but not beta, is indispensable for the development of a macrophage in the marginal zone of the spleen. But generally, LXR alpha and beta signaling is cooperative, particularly in the liver, and also in liver-associated macrophages. And this involves following phagocytosis of bacteria or, for example, apoptotic cells. So that means, just in this general description I've given you about these LXRs, these receptors, which are still a component relative to the binding of oxycholesterols, particularly 27-hydroxycholesterol, you're going to get an alteration of the immune response. Okay. So intracellular bacteria like Listeria monocytogenes taken up via phagocytosis will activate LXR and working functionally in the way to remove bacteria and to maintain macrophage division and activation okay, during the infection process. This is what happens when Listeria, which is intracellular bacterial pathogen, uh, is taken up by phagocytosis. Turns on the LXR, removes the bacteria, and that's all a component of macrophage activity. So the lipid components engulfed by these um, by the apoptotic cells 
will also turn on the LXR signaling. That will lead to an increase in phagocytic activity, and it will induce a receptor tyrosine kinase, which will promote the final apoptotic cell clearance. And that particular kinase is called MER, M-E-R. So that's how this entire process plays out. The LXR is regulating the macrophage to carry out apoptotic cell clearance when it's in association with a bacterial infection. Now, the anti-inflammatory actions of LXR are utilized to activate the receptor negatively as well, and in that way, modulating the pro-inflammatory response so that it limits or caps off hyperinflammation. Because remember, the macrophage can be M1, M2. M2 is the cleanup crew M2, uh, macrophage. Excuse me. It's the one that comes along and picks up the apoptotic debris and removes it so that you don't enhance then an extracellular inflammatory response. So the macrophage has to be activated to be able to carry out the killing of the bacteria, but then engulf those bacteria, digest them, and then remove any cells that were likewise infected by the bacteria, like with the listeria. See? So the importance of these LXRs to control immune tolerance was first observed in a mouse lacking LXR alpha and beta. And what those mice developed was spontaneous autoimmune kidney disease. Now, spontaneous autoimmune kidney disease has some pathobiochemical association with human lupus. Okay, it's a model. It's a, it's a it's an indirect model for lupus in humans. So that's where LXR was first determined to modulate, you see, the inflammatory response. So LXR expressed by macrophages participates in a limiting steady state control over neutrophil granulocytes and their activation, their potentiation, and control over pro-inflammatory cytokine production. Phagocytosis of senescent neutrophils activates that receptor, leading to the suppression, the receptor LXR, the suppression of IL-23 and IL-17, as well as granulocyte CSF cytokine cascade. That will stimulate granulopoiesis and granulocyte egress from bone marrow. See, it plays a very, see the pleiotropic role here. Remember, we're talking about LXR here. Why? Because we're talking about 27-hydroxycholesterol, which will induce LXR. All right. So LXR of T lymphocytes demonstrates this association between metabolism and activation. So endogenous cholesterol and T lymphocytes regulates their proliferation. We went over this in the immunoepigenetic lectures. And it does throw does it through a regulation of the SREBP. That's the sterile response element binding protein. Remember that linkage? We talked about that. I remember it clearly in my mind. So 
Lymphocyte activation proliferation is associated with the inhibition of LXR activation. And what it results in is cholesterol efflux through the conversion of oxysterols to metabolites that no longer bind to the receptor. Same time, the SERBP, that binding protein, becomes activated. That leads to an enhanced cholesterologenesis. And that is then finally the requirement to maintain T cell activation and to not allow the T cells to slip into antigen. Okay. Now, conversely, the activation of LXR, cold, just activating it, limits, uh, limits lymphocyte expansion. And it does so because it triggers cholesterol transport through the ABCG1. So similar to the PPR gamma, LXR has been shown to restrict TH17 differentiation of naive T lymphocytes come from that uh, CD4 population, CD4 positive population. Now that effect, just like with PPR gamma, is in, indeed indirect. It's indirect, but it's mediated through, S, through the sterile response element binding protein one. Okay. In fact, LXR promotes SREBP1 expression at the transcriptional level, which in turn decreases aerial hydrocarbon receptor-mediated initiation of interleukin-17 transcription. All right. So I want to get to a paper in a journal called Steroids. So I covered off now, I think, sufficiently about this a very unique oxycholesterol. It's 27 hydroxycholesterol. So it was synthesized, what enzymes were involved, what tissues are involved, and it's LXR and LXR associated to ER alpha and beta regulation of either stimulating pro-inflammatory response, modulating it, or in some cases inhibiting it, but overall promoting bacterial pathogenic removal. Okay. So these oxysterols, again, often considered to be, oh, high levels of oxysterol in the blood. That's a very potent pathobiochemical in some systems because maybe it's involved in Alzheimer's disease because we see it increase in some urine model brains that have um, high levels of prodromal AD going to full-blown AD in that model. And also maybe we see high levels of 27 hydroxycholesterol in female brains when it's been measured. And those women um, have advanced AD. Keep in mind that 17, uh, excuse me, 27 hydroxycholesterol has a very potent positive role in regulating the immune response. And so any modulation of these oxysterols would probably also corrupt its utilization in the lymphocytes, which we just went through. And it was heavily involved. And I only scratched the surface. Trust me. Okay. Just I mentioned just a few papers. There are many papers about this. All right. So let me look at my time. Oh, gosh. Okay. We're already at 27 minutes. All right. That's fine. Uh, next time, we're going to uh, pull out a paper from a journal called Steroids. And we're going to talk about a 25-hydroxycholesterol. 
And we're also going to talk about oxysterol binding protein and its expression. Okay. So that sounds exciting, doesn't it? All right. So I keep on thinking I'm going to be finished. Um, every lecture I do, I don't know if 10 is going to finish this arc of lectures on this very important topic. Doesn't. Uh, we'll go through it until we're finished. But it's quite possible we'll get there next time. So this is Dr. Dan Guerrero from Authentic Biochemistry Podcast on the Monday, now early afternoon, 14th of August, 2023, saying bye for now. <laughs>